Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Brian, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you going? I am doing good. Well, I'm kind of doing okay. I got in a little fender bender. Wah, wah. Yeah, I was, uh, you know those those accidents when you're in a parking lot and you're both backing up at the same time? Yes. And usually it's like a 50-50 split, you know, on fault. Well, I wasn't backing up. I had stopped for like five seconds and this lady hit me and uh, the insurance company is still saying 50-50. Really? Yeah, so I'm kind of fighting with them. Trying what to about get that cameras different. in the lot? Yeah, I've asked like uh, stores around to see if there's, you know, some kind of evidence that I could use, but there's nothing. It's Maybe some millennials just taking Insta stories? Yeah, not not so much. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. It's no big deal. I mean, my bumper's just a little dinged up, so it's probably going to have to be replaced, which is going to be a few hundred bucks, but, you know. Anytime you have to deal with the insurance companies, though, I mean, and... How long have you been a faithful client of this insurance well, it's, it's company? It's not my insurance. It's her insurance. Aye. The lady who hit me. Got you. Yeah. And so it's especially uh, fraught. Okay. See, I thought it was one of those deals where you're both having to rely on your own. Okay. No. So sorry about that. Yeah, it sucks. Anyway. You're still here. You're still here. I'm still alive. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. Anyway, what's up with you? Anything new? Um, well, just the, the ever ending, the never ending, the ever ending or never ending, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Ever ending. <laughs> the ever ending. It feels like that sometimes. No, uh, I'm doing well. I, it's that quest for serenity, you know, that we all deal with. And I had kind of an interesting story. I, uh, had, uh, listened to a coworker recommend a product from quality of life called Serenal. Um, which has got GABA and some other awesome things in there just for anxiety. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to give that a shot. Um, So I tried it, and so did the customer got it. Pardon me. And then two days later, the customer came in and said, oh, my gosh, this is really working for me. And I said, "It's. I think it's working for me, too. Hmm. And we were able to compare notes, and it was just one of those simpatico moments. I'm like, we're both Serenel heads. You know, we're using it, and it really does cut down on the chatter, some of that extra, because I don't know about you, dude, but my brain can get going. And, really? Yeah, and that's where the anxiety lies. I can't shut it up. Hmm. And what's in this? Uh, there's regret. There's different... Uh, you know things that, oh you mean in my anxiety or oh in the, no, in the no, product no, no. in the okay. formula <laughs> in the formula i know that uh there's some gaba there's l-theanine oh, okay um and some other good things too okay cool but i'm impressed thus far it's just a matter of keeping it going yeah yeah no i i definitely think that things that lower anxiety are like super important so i was listening to uh jordan peterson who has some controversial views on politics, but his stuff about like self-help and and psychology is really great. And one of the things he talks about is that if you take a rat and you put it in a new environment, it gets, it's like completely terrified. It's like completely anxious and it will slowly venture out and explore its territory. And it keeps doing that as long as it doesn't die, you know, and (laughs) it's, it's terrified. Right. And so what he was saying was, you know, sometimes we think that we're like psychologists first thought that we were not scared and then we learned to be scared so like you weren't scared and then like something bit you and then you became scared of that thing that bit you or something like that but 
the truth is actually opposite that you're scared all the time. You're always anxious and fearful, but your brain kind of holds it back when you're in an environment that is matched to your expectations. So it's instinctual for us to be fearful. Yeah, I mean, this was going off rats, and then they applied it to humans. So, I mean, maybe there's a gap there. But he was talking about psychologists and theories and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's like there's fear. Your brain is always ready to be afraid. But if you're around your family and you're around a place you know, and, uh, you know, like everything's in the place, your brain's like, oh, okay, you're fine. Then we we can hold back that fear. But it's always got its finger kind of on the button being like, all right, is everything okay? You know, and, and I don't like being at the mercy of that button i know it scares me but hey (laughs) but yeah i mean the thing is it's like when you're around anxious people actually there's one of the articles we're going to talk about from mercola talks about people who are fearful which is kind of interesting so really yeah maybe we should jump into that let's get into it perfect segue yeah there's an interesting article on mercola it caught my eye and now mercola is that the lozenge no, that is the website. Okay. Dr. Merkel. He so, actually, yeah, I was just going to explain it to people. Yeah, he um, he has a lot of supplements and stuff like that, but he actually has good news that comes up. Like right. I think next week we're going to have a news piece from him too. So I actually like some of his articles. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, there was a recent study in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology, and that sounds like the best journal ever. And <laughs> in this study, researchers wanted to look at how different smells impacted people's ability to quit smoking. And so they gathered, you know, some smokers and they, they used like certain cues to determine their level of craving for cigarettes. And what they found was that when these smokers were exposed to scents that were rated as like pleasant smelling, yes. um, the amount of craving cues they exhibited went down compared to the people who were smelling things that were, I don't know, not pleasant. So less cravings when they smell something good. Yes, that's correct. Wow. So the conclusion to the article is that basically pleasant smells can help you quit uh, smoking by lowering your cravings. And the corollary is is probably also true, which is, you know, certain smells, maybe cigarette smells or whatever, they increase, you know, cravings. Right. So that was not even the most interesting part. The article proceeds to get into how like significant our ability to smell things is in our lives and smells are, you know, significantly associated with memories and uh, sometimes totally. Yeah. Sometimes more so than what vision would tell us, you know, we can see something and it won't ignite a memory like, you know, grandma's home cooking or whatever. Completely. I just thought about that this week. That's so funny. Okay, yeah. Continue. Yeah. So anyway, smell, it's its a big deal in our interpersonal relationships and how people treat us. So this is what was really interesting. This is a research project they carried out that at the, uh, what is it? The Dentistry Skills Center in Oslo. So what they did was they have people wear t-shirts when they're doing something calming okay. and when they're doing something that provokes anxiety and fear. Then they took these t-shirts and fitted them to practice dummies that dental students would would work on. And they found that the practice dummies that wore the t-shirts from the people who were anxious and fearful received worse dental treatment than the ones who had the calm smelling t-shirts. Oh, great. So if you're scared of the dentist, you're going to get jacked. Yeah. If you're scared at the dentist... It actually has a self-fulfilling prophecy oh, to it, man. because the 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 doctor gets feel feels that anxiety, feels that fear, a little bit. <laughs> I'm in trouble, and, and they think, well, this might be through this. It's through the smell because these people had these smelling T-shirts that were anxious or whatever. 
Wow, so f- like a, a pheromone type thing, like an anti-pheromone. Yeah, it's almost like the movies, you know, they can smell the fear on you or something. Wow. I don't know. Do-do-do. No, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You worked on that for a while, didn't you? Yeah. The smell of fear. The smell of the fear on you. It just I just came up with that, like, right, you know. You're good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, those people who love aromatherapy, they're probably onto something. I actually think there is something to that. And that's funny because I, I said that, I thought about that this week, that there was a smell, and then you even said grandma's cooking. There was a smell that reminded me exactly of my grandmother's basement in Michigan. And I mean, like, I could feel the textures of the bench when I smelled that. I mean, things that I wouldn't have gotten just from a picture even, you know? And then, so it was really cool. So exactly when you said that, I was like, oh my, and that hadn't happened to me in a long time. So something to it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about sometimes when you smell something and the memory triggers, but it's not quite there. And you're like, oh, what is that? You know, it's just almost there. The old factory scrapbook. That's right. Yeah. 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 So on to, uh, you know, the next weight loss tip, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think you're going to like this today. I think this is going to be interesting. And I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So I might reference today something called BMI which is uh, body mass index. And it's basically a ratio, if you don't know, of your height and your weight. And BMI, it's often used to kind of put you in these different categories, like normal, overweight, obese, or morbidly obese. Oof. That one just sounds so bad, I doesn't it? I don't like it. Morbidly I mean, obese. Uh, just, I know I've been there, but it just sounds... Really? It sounds like, well, I've, I, I've hit i hit i mean i'm five maybe five nine and i was 215 at one point which is big mm. for yeah a you're, guy you're getting height, close a hobbit so yeah i felt morbidly obese yeah okay i mean i felt like i was gonna die just getting off the ground i'm really getting off on a tangent no, here, but, no, I, but okay. I understand the saying is yeah yeah it's a rough saying anyway it's not a perfect number this bmi it doesn't account for how much weight is like fat or muscle or bone so there's actually bodybuilders out there who are like made of muscle but their BMI would put them into the obese category. So it's not a perfect measurement, but for our purposes, you know, we're going to assume you're not a bodybuilder and that a higher BMI means you have more fat on your body. And this tip is pretty straightforward, which is get more sunlight. In the last couple decades, you know, sunlight has gotten a really bad rap, right? Right. Skin cancer incidence has shot way higher and many medical authorities They are foolishly counseling less sunlight to counteract these rising levels. And I say foolish because vitamin D levels are associated with lower amounts of many different cancers. Okay. And those cancers, they have lower malignancy when they do happen. So we, it's like, we did not suddenly start getting more sun in the last 20 years. (laughs) That's going to, you know, make these skin cancer. So, so the, the rising rates of skin cancer, they're probably not because of sunlight, you know, dietary, whatever, whatever. They're probably because of something else. And in fact, people who, uh, as a whole, they get less sunlight today than they did in the past and skin cancer rates are still going up. Okay. Yeah. So don't get me wrong, you know, getting sunburnt, that's not great for you. Um, after you get burnt, there is a cascade of like cytokines and inflammatory markers throughout your whole body. So really like, I'm not saying go out there and get burnt, but moderate sunlight is seriously good for you, especially at certain times of day. So for men, sunlight can raise testosterone and testosterone levels are inversely correlated with BMI. In -hmm. other words, higher testosterone, lower BMI. Okay. There is a very, there's also a very old study in the 1930s, uh, which is where this came from, that exposed certain parts of men's bodies to the sun. 
And I couldn't actually find the study. It's way <laughs> old. It's like 1939. So like nobody has it, but I found a bunch of references to it. And, and yeah, you know, because it's so old, it might be a little fishy, but <laughs> it's like in that study, they found that exposing your torso raised your testosterone by like 120%. To sunlight. To sunlight or UV rays. And other parts of your body, like hint, hint. Yes. Uh, raise it even further. What? So sunbathing in the nude for men is like a, is an option. <sighs> I don't do this, but this is what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. I'm not going to try that at all. <laughs> <laughs> the most interesting thing I found was not just for men, but it was for everybody. <clears throat> and it was by this Peter Light guy. And yeah, his, his actual name is Peter Light and he studies light. Like, it's stupid. He, did, he didn't even have a choice. That's right. He just came out of the womb <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> So he found some fascinating properties of fat. Uh, he was attempting to alter fat in a way that would produce insulin to help type 1 diabetics. And in that process, he discovered something about white subcutaneous fat, which is the type of fat we have basically all over our body, just under our skin. White fat is associated with metabolic problems, more so than its cousin, which you might have heard of, called brown fat, which is more metabolically active. It produces more heat. It's actually called brown fat because it has more mitochondria and blood in it, and so it looks browner. Of course. Yeah. Anyway. No, I like that because I was going, what what constitutes black or brown or, and white? Yeah, fat. it's just more metabolically active, so it creates more heat, and so it's not associated with problems. So to give you a little background on what Peter Light found... There are these light-sensitive proteins in our eyes called melanopsin, and they're found in the retina, and they basically send signals to your brain about the light that they are being exposed to. So these signals then regulate different hormones like melatonin that synchronize your circadian rhythm. So it's basically the little things that are trying to figure out what time of day it is and, and what your body should be doing because of that time of day. So Peter, he was working with this white fat and trying to get it to produce insulin, and in one of his experiments, they found these same light-sensitive proteins in white fat. Hmm. So, which is strange. What what are they doing there? You know, why would there be light-sensitive proteins in fat <laughs> under your skin that is never exposed to light? That's strange. Well, turns out blue light actually does get under your skin in very small amounts. Now, the light has to be very bright, so we're talking you know, the big fusion reactor in the sky, not, not inside. And even then it's only about one to 5% of the light that hits the fat under your skin. So it's very, it's not very much, um, and indoor lights won't work. And so what happens when this blue light from the sun hits your fat cells under your skin? Well, Peter tested this out in a lab. And after shining blue light on fat cells for a couple of weeks, he found that those fat cells had shrunk and contained less fat droplets than they had previously. Hmm. This is also significant because smaller fat cells, they're less prone to inflammation than bigger fat cells. Wow. And they create less detrimental hormones metabolically. Not so good all around. So good all around. Not only that, they found byproducts of lipolysis, which means fat burning. So the results suggested that getting more sunlight actually helps burn fat and give you a better metabolism by lowering your exposure to some of these metabolic hormones that are not so good. Um, Wow. So, I mean, yeah, it's and Arizona is the perfect place to to test some of these in small increments. Don't get burned out there. Don't but, get burned. But I I agree. I think that the sun has gotten a bad rap. Yeah. And it's interesting that you were talking about the ocular regulation of melatonin levels or or in the release because yeah. I've heard that sunglasses actually play a part in that. So wearing sunglasses throws off your natural circadian rhythms 
because it's tricking your body into thinking it's a different time of day. When you were designed, when these, obviously there was, <laughs> it, you saw whatever was happening there. You didn't have a shield or a partial shield over mm -hmm. your eyes. So by wearing that, it's actually throwing off our natural rhythms. Yeah, I, I don't actually wear sunglasses anymore. I used to wear sunglasses all the time, but I found I was really sensitive to light when I would go outside without them. And so I stopped wearing them and that kind of went away. I ha I mean, I have to wear them, but maybe I don't have to wear them. I've gotten to the point where I've relied on them yeah. because my eyes have just gotten used to it. And it is very bright here. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, this Peter, like guy, he was real conservative. And when they asked him about these results, he said, you know, we don't know how to activate these proteins with the sunlight. You know, we don't know how much sunlight is needed or any of the details. Uh, that would let us take advantage, but you know, it makes you think so. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Now the next study I want to talk about is even, well, it's not, not more interesting, but it's more results oriented. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, so this is from 2014. It's from this Northwest Northwestern medicine researchers. And they took 54 individuals and they measured how much they sleep, how much sleep they got, uh, how much sunlight they got, how bright that light is, and what time of day they get that sunlight. Okay. And they found that the participants who even had even moderately bright light exposure in the morning had significant lower body mass indexes than those who had sunlight in the later, later in the day. Huh. Basically, the earlier this light exposure occurred, the lower their body mass index was. So in this study, uh, light exposure, the benefits on BMI, they were independent of an individual's physical activity, caloric intake, sleep timing, age, the season, which, which basically means you, you don't have to change anything else about your diet or lifestyle style to possibly get these benefits. Right. Um, the morning light also accounted for 20% of the person's BMI. So 20% of your weight is determined by what time you are getting sunlight whoa i know it's wild right mind blown yes so in order to get these benefits you need to get 20 to 30 minutes of bright light between 8 a.m and noon and the earlier it is the more strongly it is associated with a lower bmi and you need to get over 500 lux which is a measurement of how bright it is so most rooms are two to three hundred lux they're they're not very bright but even a cloudy day outside gets you know over a thousand lux or so so, That's you know, so cool. If you read the paper in the morning or you have breakfast or whatnot, you know, like why not just eat it outside? There is something different about the light in the morning and in the early afternoon too. It just feels different. I don't know how to describe it. So that I like that you're telling me this. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm not talking about like full body sunbathing, you know, just being outside yeah. early in the morning, get that 20 to 30 minutes of exposure. It's going to get your circadian rhythm correctly synchronized. And the corollary is also true, meaning getting bright light at night has problems. So being exposed to blue light at night can basically mess up with your blood sugar level. So there's another study by Northwestern medicine, these same guys, and they showed that getting exposed to blue light in the morning or night could cause insulin resistance. Now I know that sounds a little contradictory. It's like, wait, I don't want insulin resistance from getting light in the morning. This is contradictory. And yeah, it partially is, but at night they found that the peak blood sugar levels were significantly higher. So the way I, I read this is basically blue light during the day causes a bit of insulin resistance no matter what, but at night it is the worst. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this also doesn't take away from the earlier results about getting light in the morning to have that lower BMI. So anyway, 
in my personal experience, getting sun definitely does cause some insulin resistance. You know, if and if it is burning fat, like Peter Light found, it makes sense as the process of burning fat does cause insulin resistance. And I do want to put out a warning that you shouldn't go nuts and get sunburnt. Like I said, seriously, like work your way up to a nice tan over time. And everyone is different too. There's actually, it's, this is an interesting story, but in Eastern cultures like India, they cover women's head in the scorching sun, but not men's when they're out working. Hmm. Kind of an odd custom. You would think, okay, maybe that's just a cultural thing, right? You know, women with the hair and you got to cover the hair. Who knows, right? right? And on first glance, that's what you might think, but it's actually not. There were some researchers who wanted to figure out why this was happening and if there was a scientific basis for it. So they took hormones that are in men and women and they exposed cells to UV light in the presence of those hormone hormones. Okay. And what they found was that in the presence of estrogen, UV light is more destructive to cells than in the presence of testosterone. So somehow these cultural practices had figured out that women might be more susceptible to sun damage as they have more estrogen in their tissues. How did they figure that out? Because I'm sure this dates back a, a millennia. Yeah, probably even longer. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how something could figure that out, but... It might suggest that, you know, if you're on some types of birth control or estrogen replacement therapy, maybe go easy on the sunbathing. Um, I don't think it was a huge deal, but it, it's just a caveat yeah. you know, I want to throw in there. No, that's so interesting. Yeah. The sun plays such a huge part in everything. I mean, but I who would have thought the time of day and that's so mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, just get sunlight early in the morning and try not to get as much light at night and your body will be happy. It'll thank you. I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, my personal opinion from what I've read and like the study I've seen, the sun does burn fat and it can be a little stressful. Like I mentioned in the previous podcast. Um, I also think it raises metabolism is, you know, I've had a lot of experiences where I come in from having, you know, been in the sun and I'm totally ravenous and hungry. So I think it does up your metabolism. I just, I like to think of the sun kind of like exercise and I treat it in the same way. You know, if you go too big too soon, you're going to hurt yourself. You want to start slow. You want to build up your strength. And if you do that, it can be really healthy for you. I love it. I yeah. mean, I'm a bald man and everyone always gets on me about not wearing a hat out in the desert, hmm. but, uh, I've built up my own tolerance and I, I keep it monitored. Wow. But yeah, it just feels good. I don't know how to describe it. Nice. A bald man with the sun just beating right down directly on your head. Feels good? Yeah. It's, it's very liberating. You should try it sometime. Give it 30 years. Give it uh, a shot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I didn't touch on this that uh, that I thought was relevant too is I find when I go bathe in the sun, I'm less anxious like what you were talking about earlier. You know, my mind's calmer. It's more focused. Less of the chit-chatter. Um, it makes it harder to be super into a lot of different things at once you just kind of calm down and you're just doing one thing at a time just being in the sun yeah well, after after you know you come inside yeah 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 recalibrating well very cool man tons yeah. of tons of information this week yeah there was there was a lot of information um that's interesting you mentioned the bald thing because i was reading some articles this week about guys who have regrown some hair potentially by doing lots of um intense massage on their head for years really yeah and so there's a whole theory on balding which is that 
it's actually scar tissue that's building up in your scalp. And so if you can break up that scar tissue, you can regrow hair. Very interesting. Yeah. Everyone's always trying to give me pointers on how to grow hair. And I got to be honest with you. I kind of like not having hair. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. I can't even tell you the last time I said, hey, I'll catch up with you guys later. I got to go get a haircut. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> and I don't have to buy shampoo and it's nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. But I appreciate the tip and I will definitely be massaging just to see. Well, maybe maybe in one, we'll, one area of the head to well, see if it works. Yeah, we'll do a show on it. Yeah, well, you're going to massage one area for three just, years yeah, and just one, be like, look, it worked. It regrew in this little quarter area right up <laughs> just, on top of my head. Just, or the rat tail in the back room oh gosh back. you still grow hair back there though so it's no you do it's not it's not it's the top of your head that's bald it's not the but the i don't back. grow any side or back hair really i keep it pretty shaved yeah of. but i'm saying like from a hair loss perspective yeah i could grow it in the back it's possible it's not a great look for me but yes i could yeah. do it okay i'd have to become a professor but i could and get a ponytail but i could do it yeah <laughs> All right, that's the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good one.